Pucker up while I finna pump your pock and yank on your yeet. Dear listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of the New Albion Radio Hour. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and today's show is brought to you by Carla's Cat Invasion. Yes, Carla has taken the trope of crazy cat lady to new inventive business heights. She literally has an army of cats, and she will send them to your home for a reasonable price. Having rodent problems? Well, no rodent will survive her cat apocalypse just love cats? You can literally swim in a room full of them. Do you hate someone? Just send Carla's army of cats into their house for a day while they're at work, and they will fill the home with cat pee and feline feces. Trust me, the smell will take weeks to fade, if ever. I like cats personally. They're the only animal I identify with. Their suave style matches my own, and they mind their own business. Best trade in any being, I think. Weren't invited to a birthday party? Send an army of cats. They'll destroy the place. Someone throwing a fancy cocktail party? Throw a fish over the fence and then let the cat army in. It's a wonderfully good time of antics and shenanigans. Need a dead body disposed of? Do cats eat people? I heard they eat people. If they're hungry enough. I don't know. Dogs will. I hear stories about people with cats who die, and then the little kitties get hungry and eat the decaying corpse. I don't know. Maybe if they're desperate, uh, have a dead body and want to see what happens when an army of cats stumbles upon them? Well, call Carla's Cat Invasion. Problem with aliens. Sick an army of cats on them. I don't know. People get creative. There's got to be a ton of things you can do with an army of cats. I mean, seriously, I'm not here to do all the work for you. I have things to do, you know. Coming up with things to do with an army of cats is not in my job description. Even if I don't have anything better to do, and... Okay, maybe I don't. But the principle of it alone. You have an army of cats. Put it to use. The important thing is to support our sponsor. Airtime doesn't pay for itself, you know. There's a war on. Surely there's someone who wronged you who could use a bunch of hyped-up cats to suddenly be dropped upon them, claws and little legs hyperactively scratching and clawing. Just rent the damn cats, people! Support our sponsor so I can get to the point where I destroy you! It's not asking so much! And now, without further ado, this week's episode, No More Part 3. The weeks were difficult to track. Certain rituals had spontaneously developed which helped to track the passage of time, but the only one that was a constant was Asha going round every few days to each of the gang individually to ask how they were and try to discern if they had a pressing emotional need that needed to be cared for. 
she couldn't even necessarily help them with it, but the others knew that this habit was important for her own well-being. As such, she likely had the best insight into what everyone was struggling most deeply with. The problem was that slowly, very slowly, too slowly to track, they were all losing a bit of their sanity. And since Asha was too, she couldn't herself track it either. But because of this ritual, she was perhaps the first to suspect it. The gang didn't notice because they were growing, becoming adept at their transhuman powers, and naturally thought that the changes they were experiencing were part of maturing and becoming better versions of themselves. David was the most noticeable, and everyone patted him on the back and congratulated him for improving so dramatically. He had taken to calling himself Raven more often now, his superhero name he would joke, and it was only Asha who would worry about this. She cared for David, and had actively encouraged his breaking out of his shell, but she noticed that his raven persona didn't possess the same sense of morality that David's did. Raven was more of an id. Raven adhered to doing whatever makes you feel good as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, but then never really paid attention to what might hurt. Not only did she not know what to do about this, she had deeper worries. Asha valued order. Asha valued making order, and this started with her own thoughts. But her thoughts were less ordered, and it was a greater struggle to keep them from becoming scattered. Her stutter was only the outer manifestation of something more serious. They were progressing in leaps and bounds, gaining incredible abilities and knowledge rapidly. Was it rapidly? How long had they been here? Months? A year? Years? Time was lost now. They had gained abilities quickly, but there was a price. She was the only one who felt this way. But there was something wrong with them. This wasn't all good. But she didn't raise alarms, even though internally she felt alarm bells and worried that she was losing her grasp on herself? Sanity? It was hard to say what she was losing her grasp on, only that she was sure she was losing her grasp on something, and it scared her, and she had this ever-present anxiety that was making her even more nervous. But, uh, wait, what was she thinking? There was, uh, there was, oh yes, she didn't raise alarms because they had to do what they were doing. The gnomes were wreaking destruction out there, and they were perhaps the only hope. She grabbed her shaking right hand with her left. Where did this shake come from? She couldn't manage a stutter and a shake. She took a deep breath, put on a smile, and went to the discussion they had called. So, what have we learned? asked Lloyd. Lloyd had taken to playing the role of general. He was a good tactician and able to separate emotion from cold strategy. Was he colder now, though? Less innocent? Was Asha just reading into everything now? Don't go to Elysium, Michael practically shouted. The entire gang groaned. That had been an unmitigated disaster. Yes, we cannot break into Elysium. Well, we can, but it's a terrible idea, Jill finished. And we can't break into the crossroads, said Raven. They've locked it up tight. 
But the crossroads exists across time, Asha said. It exists in the future and the past. What if that leads to a way? Lloyd shook his head. We cannot time travel. Any illusion of time travel is simply us visiting narratives that are happening in different time periods. We ourselves have never jumped time. Jill interjected. We've inadvertently arrived in a couple narratives before we originally came, but since we can't make heads or tails of how or why, I agree, we shouldn't mess with time. Asha nodded. No, no, forget what I said. I'm very against us becoming immersed in time shenanigans. We're messing with things that we don't, don't, don't understand. I'm for the bubble ship, said Michael. You know my thoughts, said Jill. We have to do the bubble ship, and this discussion is already a foregone conclusion. Bubble ship, said David. Can you handle it, asked Asha. David, you know I worry about all this stress we've placed on you, and holding the bubble ship together rests so heavily upon you. I'm worried we're doing damage to ourselves growing too fast, and we don't even know it. Jill scooted over to Asha and leaned against her. It's good of you to worry about us, but it's the only way. Lloyd nodded. It is indeed the only way, I believe. And our friends agree, too. So, I guess that's that. We create a bubble ship. Michael steers, David holds it all together, Jill powers it, Asha navigates, and I will captain. We will lift ourselves past levels six and seven into the higher dimensions. We're likely to find Jill there. Younger Jill. We rescue her. If that works, we go back and drop into the crossroads from above. We can't hold the ship together that long, even if we do two trips, said Asha. In order to fit all those people, we have to expand the ship to a size we can't maintain. We are picking up a whole group of posties, said Michael. They power the ship with us. Plus, we have our other friends. They'll keep us safe. But... What about the crystals that allow us to create the ship in the first place? What if they run out? Lloyd shook his head. It's possible, and there is a risk. But the crystals aren't... I don't believe the crystals have anything to truly do with the ship. The idea that we need the crystals to create the ship is a... a plot device? It's like a deal we made with the narrative, well, several narratives, actually, to do this, said Michael. Everyone pretends the crystals are what allows the ship to exist, and the narratives look the other way while we do it. The narratives will either let us do it to conclusion or not. The amount of crystals needed is irrelevant. When one of the narratives we pass through decides we are done, that will be enough. We may only get one chance and just have to do it all in one go. One crystal, a hundred crystals, it's all arbitrary. Jill nodded. Yeah, I agree. This is like dealing with gods. We've been given a pass because it amuses them, but we're unlikely to get many more passes. We just have to do it, respect whatever narratives we pass through and get it done. Asha sighed. Well, bubble ship then. Well, at least I'll get to meet Saradwan. Thus the day came when the gang set off to the crossroads. David sat nervously beforehand. Lloyd sat next to him. I just don't want to fail you, said David. Hush, I'm not worried for a second. I believe in you. You're incredible and no one, none of us, has accomplished the, 
the type of progress you have in the time you've done it. David, you're, you're dazzling. I, I feel I'm the unworthy one. What? Lloyd, you're, you're everything I look up to. David looked at Lloyd, their gaze locked. Slowly, they leaned into each other. Time to go, yelled Michael. From the doorway came a strangled cry. Jill hit Michael over the head with the rolled-up plans she was carrying. David and Lloyd couldn't hear what she said, but Michael did. They were right about you! Ah, so close! Frickin' goddess, you idiot! They were right there! The gang gathered. They nodded at David. Okay, said David. Is everyone ready? In place? He looked at Lloyd. Lloyd gave the go-ahead. Let us be off, then, said Raven. Raven had taken to using a cane. It was Jill's suggestion, and he could use it to focus energy around him like wizards, and even some witches did with wands. Raven smacked his cane on the floor and began his soliloquy. They had long since left the need for scripts. Raven knew what he was describing. The world swirled around them. The bubble formed. They all focused on it as it lifted off the ground out of the tower, and soon past reality. Theoretically, the ship was able to exist because of special crystals they had quested to find. They were correct that the crystals were arbitrary, but monitoring the crystals was important because it determined how much time the various narratives they were messing with would allow them. Navigating the higher dimensions is impossible for lower dimensional creatures. In fact, Jill got hysterical when stressing that they could not, under any circumstances, even look out of the ship. How to navigate when you can't see outside the ship seems like a conundrum at first, but this was solved in two ways. First, Michael and Asha had developed a sci-fi screen based on Loy's descriptions of science fiction he had read in his original Edwardian-era timeline. They determined that the screen didn't need to show what was outside the ship, just a basic geometrical approximation. This worked well up until the actual higher dimensions, when all dimensional logic went flying out the window and the screen became unreadable nonsense. However, this didn't matter because their real backup was the chaperones, the friends they were flying to meet. The teddy bears who would accompany them. In their recent travels, the gang had finally run across the alien race known as the Lost Ones again. The Lost Ones had looked a bit more like rats last time, but now appeared more like teddy bears. The gang knew better to ask, so they didn't, but clearly the aliens as a race were morphing. The Lost Ones were so far removed from human, it was best not to try to question them too much. We're glad to see you all, they had said. We've been waiting for you. The time is almost upon us, and your return marks the beginning. We will aid you in the rescue of the sacrifice. When the time comes, look for two of us to be your guides. And thus, now, as the ship rose and rose towards the edges of fifth-dimensional space, two teddy bears appeared, smiling and waving. They joined the bubble ship, which no longer appeared as a bubble on the outside, it currently appeared as a toy pirate ship, but this changed from minute to minute. 
They entered 6th level and then eventually 7th level space, and then, with the teddy bears guiding them, through a small hole, a well actually, up they went into the higher dimensions. Time went haywire. A sense of unreality permeated the space, but the gang kept their focus tight. The teddy bears led them to a younger, terrified, unhinged Jill, curled in a fetal position, eyes clenched shut. They rescued her and dipped back down to drop her off. Osh did the calculations regarding the remaining crystals and determined that they should not return to the playhouse, but attempt to carry out the mission in one go, despite her reservations. They lifted back up into the higher dimensions. The teddy bears were not native to the upper dimensions and would be sick for a long time after this excursion, but as long as the mission was carried out within a certain time, they could manage it. The teddy bears were able to keep focus while dimension hopping by sinking a chant of power that focused reality to their whim and kept them grounded. It was an oddly catchy chant, and the entire gang hummed it for days afterwards. The teddy bears guided the ship to a careful point, and they all descended. Finally, the ship came to a rest. Raven had been sweating and straining, randomly breaking into an almost manic soliloquy at times. He had looked like he would break a few times, and Asha herself had been on the verge of panicking. But Raven would laugh, double down, and go manic. It worked. He would continuously pull the boat back together and give Asha a reassuring pat, as he was now realizing how on the edge she truly was. But in his eyes... That gleam that had first been lit on stage during that initial performance locked into place. It would never truly fade again. Your chariot arrives, my friends, said Raven. They heard a knock outside the ship. It would be the bear signaling that it was safe to come out. Lloyd opened the door and was the first to step out to make sure it was safe. Oh my, he said. Come, it's delightful. The transhumans had built themselves a paradise. It was dawn, it was often dawn at the crossroads, and a picturesque scene of pastoral splendor stretched out before them. They saw the path which led to the crossroads which gave the place its name. The crossroads itself led to different areas which were modeled after different cultural mythologies. A few people slowly approached the ship in curiosity, "'We're here to rescue you!' shouted Michael. "'It's Lloyd Allen!' they shouted, and some ran to get the others. They came up to Michael, calling him Lloyd, and grouped around him with questions. Michael tried to explain, but Lloyd just smiled at him, waved, and walked off with Raven. Lloyd and Raven stood at the vista of perpetual dawn, holding hands. They stood watching, and finally sun in their hair, the smell of everlasting spring about them, they turned to each other and kissed. For all the awkwardness leading up to it, it was magnificent. We should get back, Lloyd said after a while. We should make love right here, said Raven. David, said Lloyd. We're in the middle of we don't even know. I'm in the most beautiful place I've seen. 
with the most beautiful man I've ever known, who I believe might be the love of my life. And I'm not going to let this opportunity, I'm not going to let this diem go uncarpeted. The nuts can wait. Lloyd smiled. Well, when you put it that way, yes, the nuts can wait. When they returned, Michael was nearly out of his mind trying to organize the collection of people. We're here because you called us, he was yelling. A woman whose voice they recognized as Sarah one called out to them. This is Lloyd Allen. He's here to rescue us. This is our chance to escape. Why would we escape? Someone else yelled. We just got here. It's paradise. No, said the Baron. We've been here for a thousand years. We've been locked in here by some kind of malevolent force. Actually, said Jill, you were locked in here by a bunch of morons, but we'll explain it later. Listen, she grabbed Saradwan's shoulders. We have a limited amount of time. We need to get you people onto the ship and get out of here. You can argue amongst yourselves later, but whoever's coming with us needs to board and we need to go. The two teddy bears were laying on the ground, soaking in the sun. Despite how cute they looked, they were clearly haggard. The posties were arguing amongst themselves, making circular arguments and reciting competing contradictory facts. This is our chance to escape! The other gods locked us in here! This is a special neighborhood in Elysium! We belong here! We're going to live forever! Why would we leave? We need to ask Lloyd Allen what to do. Wait for him to contact us. Who's manning the radio? This is Lloyd Allen. He's here. He wants to take us on a boat ride. He's so sweet. Asha frowned. Is there any place that doesn't make everybody crazy? She said softly. Lloyd and Raven walked up. Listen up, called Lloyd. We are here to escort any who wish to leave. This is your one and only chance. We will not return again. If you wish to leave, board the ship now. In five minutes, we're leaving. Anyone not aboard will stay. Just line up behind Lloyd Allen over there. He pointed at Michael. Michael shot him a dirty look of exasperation. Lloyd then walked over to the Baron and Saradwan. Please, you must tell me, whose idea was it to flower Lloyd using the death cult? Both of us, said the Baron proudly. Saradwan said we should make it life-threatening to ensure better odds of flowering, and I came up with the death cult. Thank you, said Lloyd. Thank you. He punched the Baron in the stomach, hard. The Baron doubled over. Wait right here, he said to Saradwan. He went over and talked to Jill. Raven stood with Saradwan. Nice place, he said. Love what you've done with the decor. You simply must give me the name of your designer. Oh, I did a lot of the design myself, said Saradwan. I modeled this on a sub-reality I found in the Orange Zone. Orange Zone, asked Raven. Yes, that's how we mapped out the metaverse of level four. You know, where the strands are. We mapped by color of watchtower. Each zone has its own watchtower, and each watchtower has a color we painted on it somewhere. Ah, said Raven, uh, we haven't got that far. Oh, I'd be happy to show you the map. I used to carry it around. She started looking for it and got confused. What am I looking for again? 
Lloyd returned with Jill. Jill sighed and looked at Saradwan. I'm so sorry, she said, then decked Saradwan across the face. Lloyd gave Saradwan a minute to recuperate as she had gone down. Come on, he said. We better get going. Fifteen crossroads transhumans got onto the ship. The poor little teddy bears reluctantly got up. They sealed the ship and everyone took off. Up they went, out the little hole in the ceiling, so to speak. Up into the upper dimensions they went, over, then back down. Raven beamed now and showed no sign of fatigue. Lloyd beamed too. You know, said Michael slyly to Jill and Asha, if I didn't know better, I'd swear. Oh, they definitely did it, whispered Jill. No, said Asha. Look at them, said Jill. The smile on David, said Michael. That is the cat who got the cream. The shit-eating grin on Lloyd, said Jill. That is a boy who got laid after what may be years. Oh, thank the God, said Asha. As cute as it was, oh, it was almost unbearable. Well, said Michael, they actually managed to... The ship swerved out of control and went spinning. Raven panicked for a brief second, but Asha ran to him and the two joined hands and attempted to right the ship. What happened? yelled Michael. We need to see outside, said Lloyd. I'm positive we're out of the upper dimension. Something is happening. Michael, make that window transparent. Outside the window, the teddy bears were dead, their stomachs exploding with gnomes crawling in and eating them from the inside. Gnomes also covered the ship and were attempting to eat their way in. Asha started to shake and panic. Jill closed her eyes, and the ship picked up immense speed. The gnomes were still clinging to the outside. Michael turned to Saradwan and the Baron. Help us, he said. Saradwan and the Baron joined hands. Hang on, she said. Their eyes almost glowed as the ship proceeded to jump narratives into fire worlds, ice worlds, lava lands, bit worlds, translucent realms. Raven fell to the floor, straining. Lloyd protectively threw himself around Raven, and Jill gritted her teeth. The ship finally stopped. Raven passed out. They're off the ship, Saradwan said. Shit, said Michael, and pointed out the window. Gnomes were eating through outer space, pouring into whatever narrative they had landed in, heading for the ship in giant streams. Tears streamed down Asha's face. We are fucked, said Jill. So now apparently we're just trying to torture me with choice of music selection. Oh fine, have at it. cradles and creeps the silent pause of a world 
fallen asleep Suspended in time Like a snapshot it seems Floating in dreams Like ticker tape rain Angels fallen and torn Becoming demons who stand Wiser and worn Hermits who faced the furies and grace and silently wait for ticker tape rain. precious and time will carry on the wings you lost until you rise turn and fly away on soft sacred strains ticker tape rain seen an angel fall in thirsty thick temptation have you ever seen a demon fly on wings of warm salvation have you ever lifted up your eyes to see the man behind the demon or the woman struggling hard to rise with heavy angels wings on when i fell down when i fell down when I fell When I fell down When I fell down When I fell Did you ever see the woman on the cliff that was too high Stand too close Spread her arms and with tight closed eyes Did you see her smile and laugh and leap into the view Did you mistake her for an angel when she spread unseen wings and flew When I fell down When I fell down When I fell When I fell
When I fell down When I fell down When I fell When I fell down When I fell down When I fell When I fell down When I fell down When I fell When I fell down When I fell down When I fell Fly.